Locked On NBA. The biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Sacramento to speak with Matt George of Locked On Kings about the troubling start to the year for the Sacramento Kings. We'll go to Chicago to speak with Matt Peck of Locked On Bulls about what is going on in Chicago, especially with Otto Porter. And lastly, we go to Indiana to speak with Tony East of Locked On Pacers about how the new additions to the Pacers roster have looked so far. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and Yahoo Sports Australia. The NBA is back. There's big stuff happening. There's panic. There's uh, people performing out of their skins and lots of guys disappointing. So we're going to talk to a few of the hosts across the Locked On Podcast Network to see what is going on with their teams at the start of this NBA season. So let's get to it. Now let's bring in the beleaguered host of the Locked On Kings podcast. It's been a tough start for Sacramento, Matt George. How uh, how are things going after a look? Obviously, huge hopes in the uh, in the off season and preseason, and just a completely back to earth at the moment. We like to imagine that preseason is still going on here in Sacramento. The first <laughs> three games do not count. Um, it's. We're, it's just a sense of bewilderment here. And I know uh, it's more that way around the NBA all over the planet. People are trying to figure out what in the world is going on with the Kings. And I wish us local experts here in Sacramento had a better answer than we don't know either. I mean, it's just, it's a complete loss of identity, Josh. It's it's t- them stepping away from everything they did well last year and known for, which is uh, pushing the tempo, getting out, scoring quick points, fast break, uh, pick and roll type, type offensive sets. They've completely drifted away from that. Right now, they're around 26th, 27th in the league in fast break points per game, which is absurd after being one of the best, if not the best, last season. They are taking a higher volume of threes, but most of them are coming out of isolation sets. It's just top to bottom. This team looks lost, confused, uncomfortable, and I, I haven't seen any leadership. That's and that's where I was just going to go with this next. Obviously, Dave Yeager fired last season. Luke Walton brought in. A couple of weeks after he was hired, the uh, the assault allegations came out against Walton. Is there how much of this is being heaped onto Walton? You talk about a lack of leadership and the change in direction from the franchise. Is it going at? Is is the criticism going towards Walton? Should it be directed more at Divats for the fact that they couldn't get along with Jaeger and then brought in Walton almost immediately after the firing? With maybe they didn't have as robust a hiring process as what they could have had. Where is the majority of maybe the fan negative sentiment going towards at the moment? I, I doubt it's the players. I think it's more going to those upper levels. But where is it being directed? Uh, you're 100% correct if you think the fan frustration and ire is at Luke Walton right now because it is. Now, the right answer would be it should be at everybody because top to bottom from Vlade through the players, through the coaching staff, nobody is doing well right now. And the players aren't performing and Vlade is certainly going to be called into question for moving on from Dave Yeager and bringing in Luke Walton. And Vlade, in a sense, has put 
Walton in kind of a tough position because Walton is taking over for the the winningest coach in in Sacramento Kings era since Rick Adelman, uh, which is quite an accomplishment to to say. Over the last 13 years, nobody's won more games in a season for the Kings than Dave Yeager, and right after that, the Kings fired him. That also doesn't look too good when the Kings fired Mike Malone a number of seasons ago when the Kings were off to their best start uh, in years, and we know how that all went down. So yes, as of right now, Luke Walton is the lightning rod for fan frustration, and in a sense, rightfully so. Uh, But when Vlade brought him in, it was supposed to be the next step of the Kings going in the right direction and and taking that next major step to the playoffs. And as of now, they've taken a major step backwards. We've had a couple of injuries. Buddy Heald had some ankle problems. Darren Fox has had hip issues. He hurt his leg at one point as well. And of course, the big news is Marvin Bagley with that torn, uh, that torn thumb or that fractured thumb issue. Um, yeah, is can we place much blame on those injuries to the, the Kings' best three players? Of course, Heald and Fox have played in all the games, but they haven't quite been right. And how big of a loss is that Bagley injury? The Bagley loss is is significant, especially because they're viewing Bagley as a, a full time starter this year, and we're very hopeful uh, that he could take over the load in terms of interior scoring uh, and especially rebounding. Now, believe it or not, rebounding, which was one of the biggest issues for the Kings during the preseason, hasn't been that big of an issue so far in the regular season, but literally everything else has. Um, The Bagley loss was huge. An element of the Kings' weird, bad start has been they've just gotten unlucky with a lot of these these injury bugs and injury issues. Now, that's another reason why Luke Walton is being blamed because most of these issues have been suffered late in games in blowout losses. Um, so that's certainly not the best. But it's a mixture of being unlucky and these injuries are happening. Losing uh, Marvin Bagley for four to six weeks certainly was a, a, a punch to the gut, but not the end of the world. At most, we're expecting he will miss 20 games, now 18 games after these two that have just been played over the last couple of days. Um, so it's not the end of the world, but it certainly hasn't helped things. In terms of you know, where the Kings can change from here and get better, because they haven't just been losses. There have been some really you know, ugly, really bad losses. So what can they do to, to get better here? Is it just a matter of getting out in transition more, of playing faster? Of, of you know, Is it a, an offensive scheme thing of putting the ball into different players' hands? Like How do they change you know, this, what's been a sluggish start to the year? To me, it's just getting back to your roots, right? I mean, Luke Walton, when he was hired, he came in and he said the right things. He said he wants this team to shoot more threes, which is good. And he wants the team to focus on and become a better defensive team, which is good. But in focusing on those two aspects, they've gone away from what made them so effective in the first place. Now, we saw towards the end of last season, the teams were picking up on the Kings strategy more and and forcing them into more half-court offensive sets, which was certainly slowing them down. But if I'm the Kings, now I'm, I'm not an NBA head coach by any means, but over the next few games, I'm just trying to get back to my roots, push the tempo, focus on that, reestablish that and then try and add the new uh, foundational defensive and three-point shooting and half-court offensive pieces on top of that. Because as of right now, they can't do anything right, even their strengths. Can I play a little bit of devil's advocate here? And you can shoot this down, and this is not necessarily my opinion, just providing a different side to this. But the Kings got out to a huge, very similar to how Phoenix is started this season. The Kings got out to a really hot start, surprised everybody last year, playing great basketball. But, Matt, the end of the season, they weren't anywhere near as uh, as good as what they were to begin the season. They really tailed off towards the end of the season. So is maybe, now not to the same level we've seen so far, but is maybe what we're seeing the start of this season 
more representative of what we saw at the end of last season where teams are, hey, we're not taking you as lightly. We are figuring out what you're trying to do and we're really game planning to stop it. Whereas the first 30, 40 games of last season, it's like, oh, they're the Kings. Don't worry about it. We'll be fine. And they got those surprise victories. Is there anything of that? Because they did slow slow off at the end of last season and they weren't the same level of team as they were to begin last season. Um, and that has maybe that has carried over a bit. No, Josh, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think that's a, a stretch by uh, any means. Um, teams have clearly figured out the strengths of the Kings. And I mean, we have smart NBA minds all over this planet working at the highest level. Fast break teams are, you know, it, it, there's ways to stop them. And the Kings being so one-dimensional last year, it started to, to rear its ugly head at the end of last year. What we were hoping with its offseason going into this year was that they'd be able to continue to run and, and push the tempo effectively, but when teams adjusted to them and made those halftime adjustments and forced them into half-court sets, then they would show an ability to be able to handle uh, that side as well to where they wouldn't have such a steep drop-off. I think it's absolutely fair to say teams have figured the Kings out and the Kings haven't been able to uh, to counter yet, and they're still searching for, for answers. Well, it has been obviously not the ideal start for a team that, that some thought maybe could uh, push towards the playoffs. I heard many people say that the, the Sacramento Kings would have the best record in Northern California. Hey, they still might because the other team in Northern California is also not looking or all that good, but it, it's not in the ideal circumstances for Sacramento. So, Matt, you'll have it all covered over on Locked on Kings as Sacramento tries to get things righted and get back onto or get onto the winner's list to begin this season. Thanks for jumping on Locked on NBA with me. Always a pleasure to uh, join you, Josh. Hopefully next time I'm back on, we uh, we have some better news and some more fun times here in Sacramento. If not, it's going to be a long season. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at checkout. Now I'm joined by one of the hosts of the Locked On Bulls podcast. Matt Peck is here with me. Matt, a lot of people were picking the Bulls to jump into the Eastern Conference playoffs this season. Uh, it hasn't been a great start to the season. A, uh, a bad loss against the Hornets where they uh, threw away a lead late in the game, a, a narrow victory against the Grizzlies, and then a blowout in Game 3. So um, I guess what's what's going on here with Chicago? Because they look discombobulated on the court. Yeah, they do. Thanks for having me, Josh. I think we're essentially seeing a team that has very little uh, margin for error. Uh, as as much as Bulls fans wanted to believe in this, uh, you know, the, the similar young core with the new added pieces of talent. Of course, you know, getting Otto in the trade last year, adding Sadoransky, adding Thad Young uh, in free agency, and of course Kobe White, the rookie, who's really excited people in his first few games. They still have gotten outcoached in their few, first few games, in my opinion. Jim Boylan still struggling to prove that he actually has what it takes to coach at the NBA level. And the defense is still a mess. And they gave up a whole bunch of second-chance points to the Raptors last night. That's why they ended up getting blown out by 20-plus. They barely escaped with a minute in Memphis, like you said. And Charlotte, I mean, those two teams are projected to be two of the worst teams in the league this season. They barely hung around with one, and they lost to the other. Uh, you know, obviously, Toronto losing Kawhi is going to take a step back, but they still look like a playoff team in the East. To me, it was just a fresh reminder through their first three games how much work this team has left to do, how far away they are from actually fighting for a playoff spot in the East. 
I think that the point you mentioned about Boyland is is a good one because I think he struggled. I thought he was comp- completely outcoached in that Hornets game. They had a 10-point lead in that fourth quarter, and then some of those lineups, uh, yeah, the Dunn and Levine combination, which has been shown over years to not really be a great effective lineup together or combination together. They struggled there, Levine making a lot of poor choices across these three games. But I do want to talk about Otto Porter, who you mentioned. Um, weirdly, before the beginning of the season, it was mentioned that he's going to be on a minutes limit of about 30 per game. And we can't seem to get a straight answer out uh, for why this is. He doesn't actually have an active injury at this point. He's only 26 years old. I'm not sure exactly what they're load managing him for. They kept him to 24 minutes in the first game of a back-to-back, limit him again in that second night of the back-to-back. What is actually going on with Otto Porter? Is there an injury that no one's discussing? Yes, he got whacked in the mouth in that third game and received stitches, but his minutes had been down before that. He just does not look the same player that we saw post-trade last season. Yeah, I mean, before he took that elbow last night, there wasn't actually any injury as far as being reported. There was no injury report for Otto. It was only a load management issue. And I think maybe it was because of somewhat knowing that he is a guy who has had some injury, nagging injury history, you know, in uh, in his rearview mirror earlier in his career, and that they're trying to deal with that and not put too much on him. And I think the other element of it might be the fact that the Bulls, if they are shallow at any position on this roster, it is that small forward spot, the wing, where Otto's minutes are so important and his health is so important. I mean, you've seen Boylan completely just abandon Denzel Valentine, who's theoretically healthy after missing all of last season and having surgery at the start of last season because I think he's just not in shape and Boylan wants this team to be a well-conditioned team. Chandler Hutchison... Uh, last year's rookie, you know, uh, their second of their two first round picks last year doesn't look good enough, even if he comes back from the hamstring injury he's dealing with now. And the three guard lineups that Boylan has put out there for the first three games of the season look so bad. But it's like they are trying to conserve Otto Porter Jr.'s health because they know that their depth at the wing spot is just non-existent. So the the idea is there to, uh, to to limit Porter's minutes because you don't have anyone else to play that position. But of course, by limiting those minutes of that position, you have no one else to come in and fill those minutes of the position. So I, I don't really understand the logic behind Again, this guy's 26 years old. He hasn't had, he had hip issues early in his career, but he hasn't had that problem for you know, multiple seasons. In fact, uh, look, last season, he only played the, the 56, uh, 56 games, but 77, 80, 75, 74 in the four previous seasons before that. So I, I don't really understand this, but it is he's also not playing well, which is a factor. But let's let's go a little bit more positive here, Matt, because Kobe White, the seventh pick overall out of North Carolina, has come in. He's averaging 17 points a game and playing 27 minutes a night first through the first three contests, a lot more than I thought he'd be playing. What have we seen from him? He had uh, more playmaking that we saw throughout the entirety of the preseason. Yeah, so far, do you think that he is pushing to grab that starting point guard job because uh, Jim Boylan hasn't been exactly um, showing a lot of confidence in Thomas Satoransky so far? There's certainly a lot of growing noise about whether or not Kobe can grab that starting spot from Satoransky. And I know Satoransky's gotten off to a bit of a slow start, but I do still think for the benefit of the entire team and their, you know, their ability to get some wins this season, Satoransky fits better yep. in that starting unit allowing Levine and Markinen to be the focal points of the offense. And Kobe White is needed to be that offensive spark plug off the bench. I mean, you saw in that game that they did manage to win against Memphis earlier this week, Kobe White had a just a dynamite third quarter where nothing else was really working for the Bulls. And if you take him out of that second unit, I don't really know where the scoring is coming from. 
from in that second unit. You know, Thad Young, the veteran who they added free agency, can get you, you know, maybe 10 points a night. He can do some work in the post. He's actually shot surprisingly well from behind the three-point line, too, through their first three games, even though that's never really been a calling card to his offensive game. He's like a career th- 32% three-point shooter. He's knocked down some threes. But Kobe White's offense off the bench, I think, is a necessity. And surprisingly, he and Chris Dunn, who was a forgotten man, Bulls tried to trade him in the offseason, didn't find a deal for him. Chris Dunn seems to have accepted his role as a bench guy whose first prime, you know, primary role is creating steals and playing stout defense. He and Kobe White have actually looked pretty good together playing in the backcourt in that second unit. Yeah, I think that's yeah, true. Having Sadoransky set up the the first team offense is a, a better combination with Levine, who, when tasked with those primary playmaking roles so far this season, has struggled, made some poor decisions at the end of that Hornets game and really did struggle and was out of control a lot in the Toronto game as well. So having someone else out there. But that hasn't always been the way that Boylan has run those rotations. We've seen a lot of White, Dunn, and Levine together at times in that three-guard rotation. Just lastly, Matt, Lowry Markin, how have you seen the beginning to his uh, his season? Because um, the last couple of games haven't been great from a shooting perspective. Is there any uh, fear of stagnation from Markin in here? I, uh, there is a little bit of fear. Honestly, when you watch the preseason games, Lowry played four of the five preseason games for Chicago. And all we saw was the three-point shooting. He did a lot of pick and pop. He stayed around the perimeter. We saw nothing in the interior. Then in the first game of the season, and part of it, I think, was because Zach Levine just had a really rough night in their their season debut against Charlotte. Markkinen looked dominant. I mean, he had 37 and 15, like insane numbers, and most of his scoring came inside. He was one of seven from behind the three-point line in that first game when he dropped 37 points. You know, he, he had his patented drag step shot in the paint working for him. He was was recognizing mismatches. The Bulls were getting the ball in the post. You know, he was hitting floaters in the lane. He was hitting, like, running sky hooks over shorter defenders. He was showing us everything in his offensive arsenal that we saw through his first two seasons. And the one part that had been missing was the three-point shot. And then in their second game, Markinen, you saw, went back to what he was doing in the preseason, just floated around the perimeter and had a terrible night. He was one of ten from behind the three-point line. And then another dud game uh, in their their blowout loss to Toronto on Friday night. I don't know exactly what's going on with Markinen and his three-point shot. I think his shot's going to come around. He's a dynamite three-point shooter. I think he might just be in a little bit of a funk. And what I'm more concerned about is continuing to see him find his opportunities to score inside because that is the player the Bulls fans hope that he can be, a guy who can score in all three levels. Well, Matt, it has been a a trying start to the season for Bulls fans. If they want to continue to see red, they can hear you and your co-host Jordan over on the Locked on Bulls podcast. So thank you for jumping on Locked on NBA with me. Of course, Josh. Anytime. Thanks for having me. I'm joined now by one of the hosts of the Locked On Pacers podcast. Tony East is here to talk to me about the, uh, I guess, disappointing start to the season for the Indiana Pacers. Tony, what's the general uh, feeling, I guess, around the Pacers at the moment with uh, these, uh, I guess, slow start to the season that we've uh, encountered? It's kind of weird, right? Because, like, the expectation was they'd beat the Pistons and the Cavs. They should be better than this. But at the same time... It's a pretty new roster. You know, seven guys in the rotation were not here last year. Uh, So it's kind of hard to get a good feel because some people had the expectation, you know, this team would be ready to roll, ready to get going and kick some butt right when the season started and that these two losses show that, you know, something is wrong. And there are other people that think it's just early season kinks that'll get worked out. Uh, Probably somewhere in the middle, like with most of these uh, things, but... 
Uh, it's kind of hard to get a read on a team that's so new after two games, but you know, losing to the Cavs clearly something is uh, is not great. Yeah, I think that's probably the one that was most disappointing is is to lose to a team that many thought could be one of the worst teams in the NBA. What what is it? You know, we can't be counting on Oladipo coming back at any point really in the next you know, few weeks or months to to resurrect this team. So something has got to change from from within here. The the big front court was a question mark over the off season with Demonte Sabonis and Miles Turner starting. They had both both had big games in that opener. They struggled a little bit against Cleveland. How have you seen the fit of those two on court together? You know, they really have been fine. Yeah, I think that first game we saw what it can be at its best. I mean, Drummond is going to kill everybody on the glass, including them, but they were both hitting their shots and moving into space. You know, Turner got available for seven threes and hit over half of them, and Sabonis got into the paint and hit his shots, and Sabonis had some nice defensive moments on Markeith Morris, and it's just like, oh, yeah, these two guys can do this every night. Like, this is great, and the Pistons are, you know, are a bigger team. Obviously, they didn't have Blake Griffin. They would have won by more if they did, but they both showed signs of, yeah, you know, this this could work. This is what you need. And then they play the Cavs, and it's the exact opposite where, you know, Sabonis bit on every Kevin Love pump fake like every player in the league does. And Tristan Thompson just bullied Turner off the block for a million rebounds. And all of a sudden you go back going, whoa, what just happened? Uh, how did this, this front court that was so good on Wednesday not look as good in this game? Uh, they couldn't get Turner the three. Sabonis was in foul trouble. And I think that's kind of been the biggest problem for them is, uh, because they kind of overlap in terms of where their their best skill is on defense, which is in paint defense, you know they, they get caught out of position a tiny bit as they drift towards the basket, and they're they're fouling a ton. They're one of the worst foul teams in the league, and they aren't rebounding enough. Uh, they're 29th in rebounding right now. So the I think uh, we we've seen flashes of this is how it can be when it's at its best, but it's mostly been a little disappointing, uh, especially on the glass and a little bit with the fouls. And I think the fouls have been killing the team in general. What have you made of, of Malcolm Brogdon? His first real go of running a team, moving from a shooting guard in Milwaukee to uh, to the, the starting point guard for Indiana. The assists have been up. Um, yeah, big scoring nights. How has he looked in this new role? He's looked awesome. Uh, he was convinced at media day that this is the role for him. He's better at point guard than on the wing, and he's showing it. You know, he uh, you know he he doesn't ask to you know get the ball or attack, but he's smart and in the right moments he knows okay I can get by this guy to the rim I'm taller than him and I've got size smarts and I'm gonna get to the basket and he drives well and that makes the defense collapse and because he's such a high IQ guy he can you know he's not been known to be a passer he's been known to be this finisher but he can see the collapse happening he's good at finding guys on the perimeter or or even dumping it off to another guy inside Uh, and I've been impressed with that passing because I thought the Pacers were going to be one of the worst passing teams in the league just given their roster Brogdon has of course, flipped that on his head. Over ten assists, uh, excuse me, ten or more assists in both games so far. And then his scoring, of course, has been incredibly impressive. Uh, hit over half his threes in both games, hitting his free throw. Like the 50-40-90 thing being as advertised through two games is an understatement. I think he's at like 55-65-92 or something crazy. Um, he just hasn't missed shots, and obviously, he's not going to be that good the whole season, or else he'd be you know, one of the best players in the NBA. But the fact that he's able to to beat defenders off the dribble more effectively than I think anyone you know said he could in in this lead ball handler role, I think projects well for him. You know that's the thing that was the question mark, right? This guy's supposed to be the secondary creator when Vic comes back, but if he can really kind of be the primary guy who breaks down a D by himself when he's out, they they might have a uh, something more in him, and he's shown so much with that so far. 
Jeremy Lamb currently injured. TJ Warren took a spill in the uh, in the opener. Both of those guys filling the starting uh, wing positions, the, the two and the three. How have you seen those new arrivals so far? The injury to Lamb, where are we at with that? Uh, are, they, are they fitting in okay, or are there a lot of uh, sort of growing pains with that uh, those additions? Yeah, Lamb kind of needs the ball, right? Uh, just the way he plays. He is an off-the-bounce kind of guy. He's not really a catch-and-shoot ancillary piece. So he's struggled. He struggled a bit in the opener as the fifth guy. Uh, I think his minutes with the bench go better just because he gets the ball more. Uh, and I think in the in the second game we saw that a bit. You know, Edmund Sumner as the starter, he didn't get to play a ton of minutes because he was fouling like crazy. But he doesn't need the ball as much. You know, he kind of operates in chaos and in transition. And I think uh, him and Lamb might might get flipped just for role idealization. Even though I still think Lamb will play more because he didn't show anything so bad. He just doesn't fit as well with the starters. But those two guys have had some growing pains as guys who need the ball a lot on a team that has you know, quite a few players that can finish in various ways. Warren especially has looked pretty rough shooting the ball. He has not hit a three yet after his big renaissance season last year from deep. Uh, he's been pretty good hitting his twos. I think over half of his, his two-point shots have fallen this season. But um, both of them are having some growing pains, I think, uh, adjusting to a new role. And uh, they, they need to be better because the Pacers need some offense. So for, for Pacers fans who are panicking at this point in the season, what uh, what, what can you give them <laughs> to, to hang on to at this point? Uh, never panic after only two games would be my, That's my opening there. Um, but yeah, you know, there's been a lot of positives. I just think in the details. I think looking at the results is, is a sucker's game for in, enjoying this team and how good they can be, right? Like if Brogdon is this good and Turner Sabonis can be as good as they were against the Pistons, they just need really one guy in the starting five to have an okay game, or they need the bench to step up, right? And I think that's certainly a possibility. The bench has been terrible in these two games, and it cannot continue to be this terrible. Um, so I think it's pretty clear that they only have nowhere to go but up at this point in time. Well, it is going to be interesting. This is a team that many had penciled in for a playoff spot in the East, starting out yeah, struggling, waiting for their best player to return, yeah, working out all these new pieces in the rotation. Of course, Tony will have all of that covered for you over on Locked On Paces over the coming weeks. Thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Yeah, I appreciate it, Josh. And that will do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure you are subscribing, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and on Stitcher. And if you could give us a five-star rating and review, that would be absolutely fantastic. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.